You're familiar with this, right? It's what we normally call the Great Commission. Here's the reason why we're bringing this up is because the Great Commission is the mandate and the church age dispensation. What is a dispensation? A dispensation is a stewardship that God has given to the world. It is a requirement that has been set forward to uphold. It is an expectation that God has as the creator upon his creation in order to receive maximum obedience. The problem with the requirement given is that it's always met with failure. That's stage number two of a dispensation. There's always some way in which the people that are required, I want to say come up short, but that almost seems like making too little of a deal about what happens. They blow it huge. Let's say it that way. And because in, in failing to live up to that, there now has to be judgment that comes in because God cannot allow injustice to persist. But at the same time in giving that judgment, he also gives grace. So here's what I'm going to do in five minutes is I'm going to go ahead and let you cheat for this dispensation. I'm going to give you all your answers. How's that? <laughs> wow. Okay. <clears throat> The dispensation of the church age. Again, why do I not like to call it the dispensation of grace? It's not that God doesn't manifest his grace in an abundant way in this time. It's just that he's been gracious all throughout every dispensation. And so what makes this unique is actually the giving of the church. And this is why as, uh, excuse me, Grace Bible Church, we believe that there is a difference between God's plan for Israel and God's plan for the church. The church is something brand new that happens in Acts chapter 2. So what you have is pretty much the Old Testament ends at the cross of Jesus Christ. It doesn't end at the end of Malachi. The time of the law, the dispensation of the law, is finished at the cross. Jesus Christ has tasted death for every person. He is the end of the law for righteousness to every person who believes. And so now God is going to do something brand new in Acts chapter 2 as the dispensation of the church. But in Matthew 28, he gives marching orders to the people who are going to serve as the foundational pillars for this new dispensation, this new entity that God is going to bring forward. Notice in verse 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll be honest with you. We could go three months worth of Sundays just on these three verses. That's how much is in there. By the third week, you would say, I'm so sick of hearing this. My question or my reply to you would be, fine, but are you doing it? That's the difference. Are we going? Are we teaching? Are we baptizing? Are we discipling? That is the mandate, that's the responsibility, the requirement that has been given to the church. Now remember, with the exception of the dispensation of the law that was for Israel only, every dispensation has worldwide implications. If our job is to go out and disciple, what do you think the worldwide applications are for that? What does that say that the requirement that God is laying before the world? They need to believe. Or y'all need to get saved. That's how we would say it. Did you guys know that Walmart actually has a shirt that says something like that? It says, y'all need Jesus in big letters. 
Now, you can't get it in the store, but you can get it on Walmart.com. And if Corey Clark was here today, I would have had him model it for everybody because he has one. But that's the idea. The fact is, is that the world needs to be saved. It needs to be reconciled. And so God, instead of, or let's say it this way, instead of the law being kept by Israel and manifesting this righteous culture and community of which is to draw people to it. Instead, the call is not to draw people to it, but to take the goodness of God in the form of the gospel and to go to the people because they won't come. Does that make sense? This is why I can't stand I will even go as far as to say I hate church signs that are inviting people to come in because all of a sudden that became the substitute for evangelism. Well, we told people to come. Well, how come they didn't pull over their car and stop in? Because that's not the way you reach people in this dispensation. You go to them. You work where you work. You're involved with who you're involved with. You have the social circles that you do because God is so orchestrating history to where he wants to use every one of us as a bright shining light that holds the key to bring people from death into life. We are messengers that are responsible for dispensing the message. We're not responsible for saving anyone, but we are responsible for letting them know the truth. But what I love about Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is you can't just stop there. This isn't fast food evangelism. You can't just give them what they need and then move on. This actually calls for you to have a... Oh my goodness! You actually have to get involved with people and spend time with them and listen to their frustrations and walk them through it. How do I deal with that? And teach them to observe everything that I commanded you. You point them to the one who has life. Over and over and over and over. Well, they don't know about my problem. That's okay. You don't need to be able to identify with their problem. Jesus can. That's the great thing about having an an incredible, multifaceted Savior who is God in the flesh. There ain't nothing he doesn't understand or can't handle. He can do it all. We just keep pointing people to him. Discipleship is actually extremely easy. You've already been given the textbook for it, right? You've already been given the marching orders for it. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit to help you. So not only is the convicting ministry on the world going, but also you will be given what you ought to say from the word of God in order to approach these people, and he will open the doors for divine appointments for you. Our problem is, is we're not willing to take the time to do it. Busyness is the left-handed tool of the devil. And his right hand is doubt, discouragement. He loves that one. He'll whittle on us all day long. But he also loves to keep us busy so that we'll do a whole lot of things that have nothing to do with discipling people. Every single person in this room right now should be in a discipleship relationship with another believer. Doesn't matter if you've been saved longer Doesn't matter if you've been saved for a short amount of time. Doesn't matter if you're mature in your faith, infantile in your faith. It doesn't matter. 
If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are called by the very mandate that God started a church through the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to be in relationship with one another beyond, hey, how you doing? What have you done since last Sunday? That's not the church. The church is much more organic. It is much more a beautiful conglomeration of redeemed people who all share the same Christ, the same Creator, and the same Holy Spirit rallied around the same divine Word of God. That's the church. I am hoping that if we've got any traditional conceptions of church, that they will all be laid waste by the time we're done with this section on church. And this is why I feel so passionately about the church, is because we are to be a dynamic body that is making an incredible impact. Guess what? If you don't share the gospel, the impact is never made. It's never made. Now, here's what we can do. We can shove that under the rug, and we can go on talking about pleasant things, for the rest of our lives and how sweet the fellowship is with all of us insiders and we can become an exclusive club we can do that would we be obedient no but that hadn't stopped churches in the past has it nope in fact it reveals just how hard-hearted we are to the purity of what we should be doing or we can recognize the problem address the problem i can equip you in order to handle the problem effectively. And then we could respond to Jesus by saying, yes, Lord. Never thought two words would be so hard, did you? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I need you to go disciple. Yes, Lord. Notice it's not, but I got to go bury my father first. But I got crops in the field. But I want to see this. Go here, do that. Whoever dares to put their hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of Christ. Now, does that mean you're not saved? No. It means that your discipleship relationship yourself is going to go nowhere. You can perpetuate your infancy in Christ by not obeying. Now, that shouldn't be a revolutionary concept. That's all throughout every page of the New Testament. You can actually stifle, stagnate, you, be, you can become one of those ponds that's got all that really crazy-looking green scum on the top of it. That's a great picture. We desperately need some pebbles thrown in our ponds to get us going. Why? Because God loves people. And because God loves people, we don't need another reason to love people. If that's God's heart, that's to be our heart. If that's not our heart, then that shows how far our heart is from God and we're probably out of fellowship with him. Now, again, I have so much I want to talk about. I'm convinced with the time change, I've got an extra hour. So, Acts chapter 1. Look at Acts chapter 1. Here is a second reiteration of the mandate. I want you to start in verse 6, because of how important this is. And I know I harp on this, and some of you guys are like, good grief, why is this such a big deal? And it's going to be much more of a big deal to you next week because of the idea of the dispensation of the kingdom that we're going to look at. But I want you to see the apostles' question here, okay? 
This is another requirement that's placed upon the church. If Matthew 28 has to do with discipling people, but we have to go, in order to go, we need to introduce them to the gospel. In order to talk to them about Jesus Christ dying for their sins, they become saved, then we can disciple them. Once they're in relationship, we can then have fellowship. Or, once they are justified, then we can talk about being sanctified. Okay, everybody got that? Yes? Who's with me? Come on, you guys, you got an extra hour of sleep. I know why Catholic Church got you standing up and sitting down to keep everybody awake. We don't need that here. Who knows what's going to happen? All right. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, this is the 11, they were asking him, asking Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? Now, here's what that tells me. It tells me, number one, the kingdom has not come in Jesus' time. If it was, they would say, Lord, this is so great that the kingdom's here. That's not what they ask. At this time, are you going to bring it? You promised, are you going to bring it? And notice what he says here. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed in his own authority. Because he was bringing the kingdom. But if you remember from our study of Matthew 12 and 13, Because the leaders accredited Jesus' miracles to the power of Satan, to the glory of Satan. That was the unpardonable sin. And at that moment, Jesus turned away from the Jews and began paving a way to reach the Gentiles. He began speaking to them in parables so that they would not see and understand what he was talking about. If you have some confusion about that, you can go to the Foundational Framework series online, listen through some of that stuff, or just read Matthew 12 and 13 together, and you will see there's a definite shift that takes place in Jesus' outlook and his ministry. So by turning away from them and setting a new precedent, he's now been crucified, buried, resurrected. He's getting ready to ascend. The the apostles are asking him this question about the kingdom. You don't need to know about when that's going to happen. The kingdom has actually been postponed for the time being because of Israel's unbelief. But we got something different going on. And here's our memory verse, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Witnesses. My testifiers is the idea. You're called into a court case and you have to tell what you've seen. Jesus says, that's you. Get up in front of everybody and tell them what you know about this. He says here, both in Jerusalem, notice centrally located, and in Judea, the surrounding region, and Samaria, the surrounding region where you don't want to go, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Marching orders. Tell people the gospel tell them know it open your mouth tell them pray that the holy spirit would give you boldness pray that he would lead you but do it now there's the requirements if those are the requirements that are placed upon the church the mandate of the world in this dispensation the requirement is respond to the preaching of christ or believe the gospel there's the requirement now Do they believe? Do they believe or is this dispensation a failure? Here's what's scary about this. Every dispensation ends in failure. If our requirement is to evangelize, if our requirement is to disciple, and let's not leave this out. Mitch, go to the John verse, John 13. We know this one, right? This was our memory verse for a little while. A new commandment I give to you. He's talking to the 11 there. 
that you love one another, even as I has loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the basic open inroads for evangelism in the gospel is the fact that we ought to be loving one another. Here's the question, do you? Our love in this place is so to radiate and we get enough of it on us to where we carry it out into society where people want to know. We come walking around, they go, where'd that love come from? Right? And what is that? It's because we have been experiencing such a dynamic love relationship between us. Now, I've had you do this before, and I want to do it again because it's a good, scary thing to keep you on your toes. Look around a little bit. Look around. See who's around you. Do you love that person? See, all of a sudden, this got real uncomfortable. Preacher, you're meddling. Stop it, right? It got real uncomfortable real quick. Do you love that person? It's Tom. <laughs> Sue said, but it's Tom. <laughs> Let me say this, why wouldn't you? That's an excellent question. We might not even get to my sermon today. That's okay. I prepared it all week. I'm really excited about it. Might not ever hear it. It's okay. Why wouldn't you? That's an excellent question. Let me tell you why I wouldn't love Tom. (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be a long sermon. Because in my human capacity... Apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit, I don't love anybody but me. That's the reason why. See, when we talk about taking our sin seriously and recognizing what it is, oftentimes we don't do that or we put a buffer. We're like that guy that says, Lord, I thank you so much. I'm not like this guy over here. Good grief. You seen this guy? You been in his yard lately? Oh my gosh. And we, 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 we like to strike up comparative religion with people. Why? Because it makes us feel good. And if we're in the market of anything in this world, it's in the market of making ourselves feel good. Why? Because if we feel bad, we actually have to come to terms with things in our lives. And then if we actually take the step to try to do that, what we recognize is is we're completely inadequate to address anything in our lives, and all of a sudden we have to ask someone for help. Now, the problem in the church is, is that often manifests itself, and again, this is a general statement church, not here church, but a general statement is, is we often want to gossip to other people, we want to complain to other people, we want to grumble and moan about it, we all of a sudden become Israelites in the middle of the wilderness about a situation, when God is available to supply for us in abundance for everything that we would need, so that we are already not lacking, we're just not getting access to what we need. But in turn, we say, no, God, you sit down. Let me do it in my flesh. Let me become a better person. I just need to learn to love this person better. That never works. It never has. Now, I was born in 77. But I'm not so dumb as to not remember the everybody holding hands across the world. And we're all just going to have a Coke and a smile. Everybody remember that? I'd like to teach the world to sing perfect harmony. I'd like to buy the world a Coke. Stop. Soda just became your savior. Does that make sense? 
No, but as long as you can avoid Jesus, I'll buy into it. You see how that works? This is why everybody's into God nowadays. Because God is easy to manipulate. Not the Creator God, our concept of God. Because, well, I don't have to come to here to get my definition of God. Good, because whatever God you're worshiping is not the God who wrote this. Which should make you think, if it's not the God who authored the Scriptures, what God is it? Say it. Good. Remember, Satan's name is not like Voldemort. You can say it, okay? Some of you Harry Potter people get that. He's the adversary of God. He hates God. But being scared to say his name never accomplished anything. How do I know that? Because I know a Christ that already has a victory over him. There has already been a death blow to his head. And let's be honest, he's just writhing in agony waiting to peter out. Boy, I can't wait till that happens. And it won't happen until the end of the tribulation in the the millennial kingdom. That's what makes the study of the kingdom so important, is because it is the final victory over all sin. So in this church age, with an attitude of love that we are to be permeating, we are to evangelize in discipleship. Evangelize in discipleship. Here's what we don't need. We don't need more programs at all. We don't need to be doing these other certain things to just help people. We don't need to be looking to other things. Here's what bothers me, okay. Soapbox, you ready? How many times have you ever said, you know what? What I really need in my life is I need to get together with somebody. Let's do a Bible study, right? Done that? Done that, right? No? You need to do that. You need to get into a Bible study. That's discipleship. Discipleship is two or more people gathered around the Scriptures, praying that God would lead them in the truth, and studying them intelligently. Hermeneutics class starts in January intelligently intelligent interpretation but my fear is is that our intentions are really good believers getting in the bible yes why would you not want that and then what do you do you know i think chuck swindoll wrote this book that we all need to get a hold of and we end up studying chuck swindoll's thoughts and leaving jesus christ on the shelf now am i saying there's anything wrong with having supplemental materials that give us greater understanding from somebody that's more seasoned no But I'm saying if their story about their three-year-old falling on a tricycle is the thing that made the impact on you rather than the Savior who died for your sins, then we've got heart issues that need to be repented of. That's the idea. There's a lot of ways to circumvent the main things. And if the church is doing anything but the main things, we are off course. We are wrong. There are no other responsibilities. There's nothing else that you and I need to be doing except sharing the good news and encouraging one another with the good news. That's it. And that's all. And if we do anything else, it has become the fat that has to be trimmed, that slows us down, that makes us trudging through mud when we ought to be running as the fastest runners in the marathon, running in such a way as to win the prize. Now, don't misread what I'm telling you. I'm a big believer in books. Those of you that have walked by my office can see that. 
Pastor Steve and I, when we talk about books, my wife is correct. We are like junkies on a binge. We are. I have this agreement with my wife. She said, for the next three months, don't buy any books. Okay? I have until January 1st where I can buy some books. And I said, why would you do that to me? She said, I'm trying to take out the supplier. (laughs) Because I keep feeding them into Pastor Steve. But let's be honest. I already have this book. What else do I need? You see what I'm saying? We often convince ourselves that we need that fix of something else. Do we need help understanding the Bible? Yes, we do. But is that not the reason why God gave you and I the same Holy Spirit? You know what I love about the Holy Spirit? He wrote the thing. So we have direct access to the author. We have the community of believers of which we are to be gathering together often in order for mutual encouragement so that we would know this inside and out. And here's the thing, guys. People do not change. I cannot love Tom unless this raw material is being fed into the fire of the Holy Spirit to change me from the inside out. We don't grow any other way. There is no accelerated growth. You cannot accelerate the time that's needed for Bible study. You can't. Everybody wants to cheat it. You know, fast way to learn your scriptures. No. Why are we so, why are we, why are we so, why are we, who convinced us that we need to get through this book quickly? Society probably, but I think that's also the left-handed tool of the devil. Busyness. You got other things to do. Get out there. Get out there. You got other things to do. You ever realize that you were so in a hurry to get somewhere to go that you didn't realize why you were there? That happens to me every day. It's a mess up here, I promise you. So what is the failure? The failure is the fact that the world doesn't believe. Let me just give you some verses. I'm not going to go over it because I do want to hit upon what I have prepared. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That clock's wrong. Um, Here's the failure. Let me give you some failures. Apostasy. That means falling away from the faith. That means rejecting Christ. Let me give you some failures. Apostasy. Lethargy. Or some people would say slothfulness. You just became lazy with Christ. The other one is lacking of love. If you want an example of what these are, the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, they're worth studying. There's seven of them. And I don't think there's a symptom that goes on that Jesus doesn't diagnose in there that we are all not susceptible to very much readily now. All it takes is getting your eyes off the prize a little bit and you begin to come, become cold to the things of God. What is the judgment? Well, for believers, it's the judgment seat of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 5.10. You just want to write J-S-O-C. Or you can also spell it B-E-M-A, Bema, the Bema. Pete's Sunday school class is all about that. The judgment seat of Christ for believers. That's when we are evaluated for how we've lived our Christian lives and whether or not we will receive rewards or experience a loss of rewards that we could have had for either faithfulness or unfaithfulness while we were here. For the world, it's tribulation. The seven-year tribulation that is spoken of in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, is God's judgment on an unbelieving world. That's why the rapture is a fact. God does not judge those who are already saved in this fashion. He removes them out of the way. 
so that his judgment can pour out pure on people who have refused to believe the gospel. What is the grace involved? If we read the entire chapter of Revelation 7, we actually see that it's possible for people to get saved during the tribulation period. Now, let me take you to the passage that I want to share with you. Turn with me to Hebrews 10. My actual expectation (laughs) was to go through Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 39. 19 through 39 is what I wanted to do. And then as I started to look at it, I'll be honest with you, I just started having a love relationship with Hebrews 10. I became so grateful in my heart for Hebrews 10 that all of a sudden I said, no, we got to do 1 through 39. We've got to look at Hebrews 1 through 39, the whole thing. We got to break it down. We got to check it out. Man, everything that it says about the blood of Jesus is so amazing. I got seven minutes left, so we're going to cover three verses. Okay? But if you want to know what would be some good reading throughout the week, all of Hebrews 10. All of Hebrews 10. And if you got some questions about it, email me. My email is in the bulletin. Email me. Let me know. I will try to respond to you as quickly as I can. In fact, let's start in verse 19. I'm not going to elaborate too much, but I hope that the author's clear enough to where you get how great this is. And, and here's what this is stemming off of. It's stemming off the idea of, with the law, the last dispensation, you had to keep coming over and over, year after year, always offering for sacrifices. And the priest had to offer for sacrifices. And even though it may have been a type of cleansing, it could never help reassure your conscience. It's like having cancer and taking a bath. The outside got clean. But in the inside, there's still something that needs to be addressed. And that was the situation with the sacrifices in the Old Testament. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. Jesus, as the perfect high priest, not only offers himself in a body like ours and dies for our sin, every sin in himself, but he is raised from the grave so that as our perfect high priest, he can take his very own blood that he sacrificed and he comes before the presence of God in the temple in heaven and he offers his blood as an atonement for the sins of the world. Is that You see how great that is? And he does it once for all. After he does it, he sits down. Why? Because he's done. Some of you are saying, preacher, I can't wait till you sit down. Because when you sit down, I'll know that you're done. That's not a hard concept to get. So because of all that, if you notice verse 19, there's a therefore. And that's what that therefore is there for. Look what he says. Therefore, brethren, saved or unsaved. So may you be surprised how many people have so much confusion about whether or not the people who are being written to in Hebrews are saved or unsaved people. They are redeemed brothers and sisters. Don't let that go. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, how? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us, notice the author includes himself with his audience, through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, here it is, verse 22, let us draw near. The let us passages of Hebrews are worth studying. In fact, we're having a conference in August where we're going to have five, six speakers that are going to be here over the book of Hebrews, and we're going to focus in on the let us passages because what the writer of Hebrews is doing is saying, instead of wasting your time on these other things, let's do the right thing. Let's get going on the right 
path. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance, with complete certainty. You can draw near to God. Notice, the the full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, is that talking about baptism? No, it is not. It is not talking about water baptism because water baptism has no effect on you to save you. It has no effect on you to cleanse you. In fact, after I do a baptism, I often have to go home and just take a shower. It doesn't help one bit, but it is a public identification of the glorious death, burial, and resurrection to the new life of Christ that has been made available. We are publicly professing our identification with this new life. The first thing is, church, draw near. Jesus has already paved the way for you, and it's sprinkled with his blood. Confess your sin and get in his presence. Don't run from him. Where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to go but the throne room of God? Who else are you going to take your problems to where they're going to get taken care of? Who else can you confess your fears to? Who else can you come to for confession? It's not a guy in a booth with a slide door. He does nothing. He saves no one. He is a false Christ. You cannot confess to him. He'll take your money. But all he did was leave you broke. Well, I feel better after I go. That should be a concern. Because your F train is out of whack. Draw near to God. Well, I I don't know if I can draw near to God. You can. Jesus already paved the way for you. Go. Do it. Stop delaying. But, 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 but. Stop it. We sound like motorboats. But, 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 but. Go! He wants you there. So let us go and do that. Draw near. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. What does it mean to hold fast? Not let go? Hang on. Like your life, it's like when you walk out these double doors and you peer over the edge of that silver bowl, and you see only one donut hole left. (laughs) And what do you do? And it may may be streaming through your fingers at that point, but you still... Or to give you a more practical illustration, it's like being in the middle of the ocean, and you're getting ready to go under. And there's the life raft. It's the idea of husbands cling, cleave to your wife. There is no other. Hold fast. Grab her. Don't let her go. She ain't got nowhere else to be anyway. Right? <laughs> let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Notice it has nothing to do with how you feel about it. For he what? Oh man, he what? He who promised is what? Faithful. Because it's all based on the faithfulness of God, not me. Isn't it amazing that God calls us to be faithful, but he doesn't require us to be faithful? Totally different thing there. He calls on us to believe. 
He requires the world to believe. What is he required of the world? Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the reason why this dispensation goes off the cliff. Because people won't respond to the call of the gospel. But notice here, it's based on his faithfulness, not your faithfulness. You know what that means? It means that your disobedience should not be an excuse to keep you from holding fast to the confession of Christ. Why? Because he's the one who's faithful. If we're trying to win anybody to anything, we're winning them to the faithful one, not us. Well, Christians are hypocrites. You're right. And we need Jesus now as much as we've always needed him. Because we're huge sinners. Yes, I need thee every second. Oh, gracious Lord, please help me. Right? Notice what it says, verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another, how to stir up one another. Anybody got the translation stir up? Man, everybody seen, everybody seen fork and spoon that you have on people's walls sometimes? Any of you got that? I really wanted to try to find one so I could use it. Stir it up. Church should be a place of stirring. I'm here to stir you up. You're here to stir me up. But the idea, why do you stir something up? Let's see what comes floating to the top. <clears throat> Your time for answer is done today. What else? Anybody got anything else? Why do we stir stuff up? What? To blend it, to activate it, to mix it up, to make it into something better. Isn't it possible to get that film on the top of your hot chocolate? Or How many people have been to a buffet? Right? And you know, you walk by and you go, oh, ain't nobody touched that in two hours, right? And so you keep going. You bypass the macaroni and cheese because it had been there for a long time crystallizing in your sight. What needs to happen in order to keep that from going on? It's got to be stirred up. It's got to be stimulated in some way, provoked, mashed up, moved around. Action has got to get going in there. And look what he says. Not just for any reason. Don't come in and just make everybody mad. Notice what it says. Let us consider, let us contemplate. Have you thought about this lately? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Let us consider, contemplate, how to stimulate one another to love and good works or good deeds. Everybody remember John 13, 34 and 35? The attitude that should be covering the church. How does that stay fresh in the church? Because you've got people coming in that should be agitators. Am I here to be your friend? Not first, not foremost. In fact, my job as your pastor is to stir you up. You may not always like that. I'm okay with that. Because I don't always like it either. But it's necessary. The Lord recognizes my propensity towards stagnancy that I can be like the crusted over macaroni and cheese at any moment and I often need a believer in my life to get me going and to keep pointing me in a direction of loving my brothers and sisters and doing good works now notice what he says here verse 25 not forsaking our own assembling together, 
as is the habit of some. Now, here's the problem with this type of message is everybody that needs to hear this ain't here. This means a constant behavior of missing the assembly. The assembling of ourselves together. That's actually what the word ecclesia means for church. It means the assembly of ourselves. It is a gathering of believers. And notice what he says. Get together, agitate one another to love and good deeds. Don't give up your hope. Draw near to God because the blood of Jesus has made it possible. But don't skip church. Well, I have more important things to do. No, you didn't. Satan told you you did. Your friend told you you did. Somebody else told you that you had more important things to do than be at church. Are you saying that we should be at church all the time? Yes, I am. Yes. The more we get together, the happier we'll be. It's not a lie. It's good theology. And a good song. Think, guys. You ever missed church for a month before? Yeah. When I was at Resurgence and we had Nathaniel, the elders there gave me a month off. I appreciated that time, but knowing this verse, I couldn't help but to be concerned. Did I want to be able to minister to my wife and us understand what it was to adjust and work through this sleepless period? Yes, absolutely. But not also a very healthy thing for us to still be part of the body regardless of what the life event has been absolutely because it's indispensable for how god goes about stirring up his church to be doing the things that they ought to be doing guys there's enough churches that sleep god doesn't need any more what he needs is a church that actually sits down reads the bible evaluates the surroundings and says here's where i need to make a difference Because here's what we do. Well, you know, the church really needs to. Well, you know, if I was in charge of that ministry, I would. And we throw attitude. We talk about how it ought to be done better. We talk about how a person should be adjusting things. We talk about how they don't like a structure, something's going on. But we sit on the sideline and we just complain the whole time. You and I are church. Not they're the church. I'm the church, you're the church, we're the church. All of us are the church. And if we're all the body of Christ, many members, one body, that means that when you are looking that something else is not working well in the body, it is your responsibility to get in there and encourage and agitate towards love and good works and encourage those people to hold fast to their confession. There's enough tearing down that is going on in churches. Enough. Done. It doesn't need to exist here. There's no place for it. Why is that? Because it's got the devil's name written all over it. All over it. Does that mean that we don't discourage people from sin? No, of course we do. But we encourage them to a better life. We encourage them to a better hope. We encourage them to what has already been fully and freely given to them that they're not taking access of because they're too busy trying to live in the flesh making their life work. That doesn't work. It never works. It's frustrating. And there is nothing about grace that is in it. You either got people running wild like banshees, not obeying anything that Jesus said, that's called licentiousness, 
Oh, you've got everybody so strict and stuffy and can't move and strangle to death in their Christianity. I'm afraid to breathe or Jesus won't love me anymore. That's called legalism. There is a dial right in the middle. This book proclaims it in 27 different books. It's called Liberty. Liberty in Christ. Christ came to set people free. Now, if that sounds like a basic concept to you, go, oh, I wonder what that's about. That tells me that you're running the risk of the party lines on both sides. And you haven't experienced the freedom of what it is to be in the liberty of Christ. I'm way out of time. I want to say more. But let me ask this question. Just think with me for a second. Think with me for a second. Don't everybody start closing your Bibles. You're going to get distracted. I'm really trying to hammer this home here. Because here's the thing. Guys, when, I, when, I, when I'm pouring over the Bible and I'm pulling stuff together, for me to come out here and, 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 and preach to you guys and talk with you guys and want to encourage you in the Scriptures and everything, sermons are not to be sneezes in the wind. Okay? I guarantee you, you talk to Pastor Steve about his time doing sermons. You talk to any preacher. They spend time working on it. They come out here. They want to encourage a church. And all of a sudden, it's like, gone. And it never mattered. Sunday matters. Sunday matters if for no other reason is it's the assembly of the saints. And what are you here for? You're here to draw near to God through the blood of Jesus. You're here to be encouraged to hold fast to your confession and not shrink back. Read the rest of this chapter. God takes no pleasure in the Christian who shrinks back. But those who are righteous should be living by faith. That's the difference. Read the rest of the chapter. It's worth it. But also, you are here to agitate. You are here to stir one another up. And you may not see eye to eye on all the issues, but here's the thing. We have the same Christ, same Lord, same Spirit, same Word, same calling. We are called to witness. We are called to disciple. Stop for a second and ask yourself the question. Are you laying hold of everything that Jesus has already provided for you and called you to as part of the church? Let me ask you a much more provocative question. If you have found that your life's extracurriculars are what you're investing more of your time and attention and prayer into than the church, your priorities are wrong. Let me say it. Well, you're just saying that because you work here. No, I'm not. I do have a special interest. I am a fan. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Because I refuse to be a part of anything I can't believe in. But, if the church is God's specially called, bought, paid for, and crafted entity of which he seeks to win the world, not to better things in the world, but to go beyond this world so that we can experience what life is like abundantly in the kingdom, then it is the only thing worth investing in. Now here's why that's hard. Because now you've got to go home and make a list. What are my current priorities? Write them down. How do those reflect on what I need to be about of what Jesus has called me to? And all of a sudden you realize there's a gap. There's a chasm somewhere. In order for where you are to be where you should be, that's got to be shored up. And you know what that means? Making choices. 
I can't do this anymore. Why? Because this is more important. You know what would happen if we all in this room actually did that? I would never have to beg for a Sunday school teacher again. We would never have to hound people for volunteering for ministries. Our church does a pretty good job. I don't think we, I don't think we fit in that mold of the 20% of the church does 80% of the work. I think we do much better than that. I think, I think we've got 60% of the church probably involved in doing stuff. But let me ask you a question. What part of your body doesn't function? Anybody got a part of their body that just does nothing? Some of you want to say your appendix, but that's not true. I know you. Thank you, smart aleck lady. Go ahead and say it. Okay. Okay. You just can't let the illustration have the impact I need it to have, can you? Yeah. That's agitation in a wrong way. There's no love and good works in that whatsoever. But here's what I'm saying, guys. A lot of people live their entire lives looking to be alive about something. They just want to feel that something is real. They've got so much pain in their lives, they get involved in drugs. They've got so much rot in their lives, they get involved in illicit sex. Because they're always trying to fill a hole somewhere. Let's be the exception to how everybody else does something and actually believe what Jesus says. That's the first difference to make. And say, you know what? However, I need to be involved in the church. However, I need to be helpful in the church. Maybe there's not even something specific for you to do except be an encourager, if that's your gift. But just being involved in investing yourselves in loving other people and constantly pointing them to the Lord. You talk about something that will be drastically different in your life, there it is. It's not just because I'm a pastor that I'm sold out to this. I was sold out to this before I got called to be a pastor. It's the truth. Everything else in this world is a lie. Guys, don't be, don't be snowed on this. Everything else is a lie that we would get bought into. I don't know what else to say. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the mercy of your word that directs us in the proper direction. We desperately need eyes to see. We desperately need ears to hear. And we need to actually submit ourselves humble ourselves to what your word calls for simple obedience these three things are not anything we need to pray about as strange as that sounds you've made yourself crystal clear in your word father i pray that the spirit would prick our hearts to move us motivate us unsettle us until we recognize that the place where we are to reach our maximum potential in life is when we're investing in the life to come. And that is in the entity that only you have put forward as the acceptable one being the church. Help us, God. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.